thank you, Judy. Powerful song. Um, you know, I think when the world sees us, sometimes they think, that's just a mad group of people. I found myself crying. Not angry. Really broken. And God, well, you know, there's an old saying I have. When you take God out, there's nothing left worth keeping. That doesn't make me mad. It, it breaks my heart. So, thank you, Judy. What a message. Now i got to cry for a minute before I get on the next thing. Uh, starting a new series this morning. <laughs> Breaking up stony ground. One of the things that really caught my attention, guys, uh, through our prayer weekend was the importance of a close walk with the living God. God wants us to have a deep walk, not a shallow walk. He wants us to be intimate and close to Him. And so we're going to be looking at some areas where we are easily tripped up or where we find ourselves not being as close as we know our God wants us to be. But uh, this morning, for our scripture we're opening up, title this measure, uh, message, Treasuring Treasure. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to look at uh, verses 19 through 24. So if you'll stand again in our great God's honor. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is a lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Let's pray. Lord, we have already asked you, Father, to meet us here. And I believe you have, Lord. But we don't want that to end. So, Father, I pray to be filled to the full with your spirit. And I pray that we would continue to, Father, meet you in this sacred time, Lord. May we be attentive to you and do the work you desire. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I have found as a homeowner, one of the greatest responsibilities is my lawn. The problem I have also found as a homeowner is I don't have a very healthy looking lawn. Um, as a matter of fact, I, I looked out there uh, early in the spring. I said, man, all I see is weeds. I need to do something about this. So I went down to Ollie's and they had a sale on this weed killer you hook up to your hose. and uh, So I, I didn't want weed and feed. I was afraid it'd grow too fast. So I sprayed it out there and the first thing I noticed was huge brown spots in my yard. And I thought, what have I done? Now there'll be nothing out there but dirt. And then it slowly started filling in with grass. And 
Man, for about two weeks, I had a good lawn. But then you know what happened? Those pesky old weeds came back. Well, you know, I just looked out there recently. Thankfully, it's getting to the point where hopefully, I, you know, maybe I'll have to cut it one or two more times. You can see I'm such an enthusiast with yards. But anyway, I looked out there, and man, about all I could see was those broadleaf weeds, you know. I had to do a real search for grass. It is work. You know how it is in my neighborhood. I'm so sure in your neighborhood. You go out and cut the grass, next thing you know, three neighbors are out cutting the grass. That's just the way we, we look around, we notice, we see. You know? But it takes work. Boy, does it. I also think of a garden. If anybody has, has a garden, knows the work of a garden. And I remember one place we lived, I got out and I got my little tiller. And it was like using a jackhammer. Trying to break that stuff up. But you have to break up the soil. And you have to do some other stuff, you know, if it's going to be a place to really grow. A garden. It takes work. Um, it takes work for us in the Christian life, doesn't it? I'm not talking about salvation. Salvation's totally dependent upon His work at Calvary. But I'm talking about what we call sanctification, which is that daily walk with Jesus that says yes to what He asks. That's really what that's about, right? And that's what we're going to look at in this particular series. And I have a verse. It's actually a verse I want to close with through um, each of these particular messages. It's found in the book of Hosea, chapter 10, verse 12. You know, kind of a place we don't normally look or talk about in the Scriptures. Here's what the verse says. Sow for yourselves righteousness Reap the fruit of unfailing love and plow up and break up your unplowed ground. For it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers righteousness on you. He says, so for yourselves righteousness. This is not talking about the righteousness of Jesus Christ that he gives you. This is talking about... The living and the daily walk and taking His power and sowing that in your lives each day with the choices that you make. That's what, that's what He's talking about. And He says, as you do that work, guys, you'll reap the fruit of unfailing love. What a, man, that's awesome, isn't it? That you reap the blessing of sowing righteousness in the choices that you make. But He says, you've got to break up your unplowed ground. And we've got unplowed ground. We've got areas of our lives that slow us down. Or send us into worry. Or guilt. And, and we begin to feel so far away from God. Turn me to Hebrews 12 verse 1 real quick here. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles the picture here is he says uh, let us throw off that hinders that sin easily entangles is a picture of something that grabs you has got a hold of you and this picture here is a picture of a race and the picture has the idea of something that's wrapped around your ankles and keeping you from running he says man you need to you need to get rid of that and it's it's in a present participle which means you need to do that all the time you see it's a constant battle 
We're in a spiritual battle. He says, if you're going to walk close to Jesus, you've got to throw that stuff off. You've got to come to God. You've got to depend on Him. You've got to rest in Him. It's got to be in His strength, by His Spirit, for His call. That is what it's about. And He says, you run it with perseverance. It's not a sprint. It's a long run until we end up in heaven. Well, this morning, we're going to start out and we're going to look at one. It is possessions. It is the idea particularly of, i got to have just a little bit more. It's not talking about how much you have. I mean, there's poor people in the scriptures that are described. Remember the widow, she gave her last two cents, and God honored her. And remember, also, there are the rich people, you know, Abraham and Job and, and some others who had a lot of money. It's not how much money you have. It is really a matter of the heart and what God wants to do in our hearts. That's, that's what he's up to. That's what he is about. I heard a pastor talk about a pastor's conference he went to. There were over 200 pastors there. And the speaker started by saying, I have a question for you guys. Is it possible for a person to build a house so large that it's sinful in the eyes of God? Every hand's raised. Yes, sir. Preach it, brother. Yes, sir. He says, okay, let me ask you another question, guys. Can you tell me at exactly what size the square footage where the house becomes sinful to live in? Finally, one brother raises his hand and he says... That's easy, brother. That's when that house is bigger than mine. Man, that's where we are. Proverbs 23, verses 4 and 5, it says, Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone. They will fly off to the sky like an eagle. Don't make that your ultimate pursuit. Instead, what we'll look at today is seek treasures that last, that will ultimately last. And so that brings us to our text. 6 verse 19, he says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Now it's interesting here because the verb and the noun actually come from the same word. And so we can literally translate this verse, Do not treasure up for yourselves treasure chests on earth. He's saying, don't let your treasures, what is most precious to you, be something that is not eternal or that will last forever. And then he gives some examples of what happens to that which is temporary, which so often becomes the treasures of people here on earth. First, he talks about this little moth. As he says in verse 19, where moth and rust destroy. And... The idea here is of the moth destroying precious clothing. You see, back in that day, many rich people, the way that they would store their riches was to weave gold into clothes, precious gems into clothes. And then they were afraid that those clothes would be destroyed by moths and just uh, the natural uh, destruction that occurs. And so they would hide those clothes away. Matter of fact, it talks in the Old Testament about Samson, how he... Uh, paid off a debt that he had with clothes, expensive clothes, to the Philistines. And then he also mentioned, secondly, rust, where rust destroys. Uh, My first car was my dad's work car. 
It was a 1963 Chrysler New Yorker that had a push-button transmission. Any of you guys remember those push-button transmission? Right? And this baby had holes all in it. It was white with some brown (laughs) rust. But I tell you what, that thing was, I used to say, um, man, we could paint that thing green, send it overseas, use it like a tank, you know, it would keep you safe. But one day, my, you know, my buddy Barry and I, we're, we're in that car, I wish I could remember the name I had for it. I'm getting old guys and the memory's starting to go on me. But anyway, I was in the car, we're going down the road, and all of a sudden, these attractive girls are coming the other way. Well, wouldn't you know, right at the moment they're passing us, Barry's door flies, I'm driving, Barry's door flies open. And boy, they start screaming. I don't think it's because they thought, look at those guys. No, they thought, look at that car. Nobody would want to be in that rust bucket. <laughs> you know, the, the picture here in both of these where the moth eats and the rust eats or is destroyed, is a picture of eating away that occurs. And then he gives another picture here. He talks about where thieves break in and steal. And and the picture here, it it literally could be translated uh, to dig in or to dig through. The homes in that day were literally made of uh, baked mud. (laughs) And so, you know, thieves could literally dig through the walls to go in there and rob you. Or sometimes they would dig inside the house because people would actually bury their treasure in the floor. Matter of fact, I read about one example of in a Middle Eastern town where they had dug two foot in an old home area they found. And there was like $15,000 worth of silver. And it was just like two feet down in the floor. And they estimated this home was thousands of years old. And it was a home site that was probably used by many people. And so there were people walking back and forth over that treasure. Didn't even know it was there. This is the kind of stuff that we're talking about. But he says, hey, don't build up those kind of treasures. Look at verse 20. I got my Bible upside down. Here we go. Verse uh, 20, he says... But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. That's where you need to store your treasures. And some of us say, hey, uh, you can't judge my heart. You don't know where I am. Well, Jesus begs to differ. Look what he says in verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. All right, I'm going to spend the rest of this message. I'm going to go from preaching to meddling. So I'm going to ask some questions. Get mad at God, not me. We're going to ask some questions, meddle a little bit, see where you are. Maybe some of you will say, my heart, brother, is in missions. I, this is a mission-minded church, and I'm a mission-minded Baptist, and I believe in going forward with missions. Well, let me ask you a question. 
Do you volunteer in the church to do missions? What are you doing to reach out beyond this room with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, have you ever been on a mission trip? You might say no. Okay, then. How much of your income is dedicated to supporting missions and missionaries? You might say, I never thought about it. Well, uh, have you ever thought about giving a week or a year to some group that needs to hear the gospel and going there and making an impact there with the gospel? You say, no, but my heart is really there. My heart's always been interested in missions. No, it's not. Do you know why it's not? Because you're not investing in missions. Here's another one. My heart's really interested in the next generation. We're all getting older. And I want to see that next generation know Jesus and be on fire for Jesus. So let me ask you a question then. Are you serving as a youth leader? Are you volunteering to help in youth ministry? You say, no. Well, maybe another question. How about children's ministry? Are you helping in the children's ministry? Are you working with the children? No, I'm not doing that. Well, how about the nursery? Do you volunteer in the nursery? No. Well, then you're not interested in the next generation. You can say all you want about I'm interested. Not really. And do you know why you're not? It doesn't matter what you say. It's what your heart says, guys. Here's the deal. Interest always follows investment. Where are you invested? In fact, investment proves interest. Let's say one of you, you're at that age where you're ready to get married. You want to impress that girl, that sweet thing you like being around. You think, I'm going to pour everything got into a ring. So that even if she says, mm, she'll look at that ring and it'll sparkle. And maybe, just maybe she'll say, yeah, I want that. Yeah, you know. So you, you go out, man, you spend all you got <laughs> trying to make that big impression, right? Or here's another one. Um, let's say you believe, man, you know, I really believe in Apple. They made a lot of money. A lot of money. You know, and I've watched Forrest Gump. I heard Forrest Gump say, he says, well, I got this Apple thing in the mail. It's a lot of money made me. You know, maybe you're thinking that way with Apple. And you say, man, they got the iPhone and the iPad and on and on, you know, all that stuff. And he says, man, that's worth some money. But the problem is you never bought any stock. There's no real interest because there's no real investment. So it is with any stock. But let's say you poured your life savings into Apple stock. Well, when you open the paper or look online at a new site, you're not going to start at the comics, are you? You're going to be looking on there in the stocks. How are they doing today? Why? Because your interest follows your investment. Guys, that's the a, that's a way that it works. And the trouble with materialism the trouble with stuff being your world, it gets around your ankles and it keeps you from running the race with perseverance that counts. 
the race of eternity. All right, some practical questions here. I'm not done meddling. A few more. This is to evaluate if you may be in danger of missing what matters. Do I spend more time thinking about what money can do with my life versus what I want God to do with my life? Here's another one. Do I consistently pay my bills but sporadically give to the Lord? Do I compromise my convictions to avoid any kind of financial or reputation loss? Do I have financial goals, but I don't have any spiritual goals? Do I invest time and energy in work and family and recreation, but make no investment of time and energy in serving my family in the body of Christ? Am I suddenly interested in my charitable giving in December? (laughs) Or do I give in December like I give in July? If I receive a year-end bonus or salary increase, will it raise my standard of living or will it affect my level of giving? Probably a good place for me to stop here. Man, we were overwhelmed by your show of love to us last week, as many of you gave to us in an extravagant fashion. And Cindy and I neither both really are comfortable with too much attention. Probably because I believe if a guy's in a situation where he never says no, he's going to become a royal creepo. And, uh, but I just want to say, uh, I, can I say, I saw your heart. Easy to love you when you love us like that, okay? All right, back to spanking. That was enough. Uh, here's another question. Is my online banking program designed to make monthly deposits and payments to creditors but nothing's planned? God. I'll do that when I feel like it. When's the last time I've given away something I would have preferred to keep for myself? What's my attitude or response when I see a homeless person begging on the street? Ouch. Got me. Have I ever helped a widow or, or an orphan with tangible gifts of time or energy or money? All right, two more. I'm almost done. Do I think more about my retirement than I do Christ's return? And last one. Do I dream more about my retirement home than I do my heavenly home in the Father's house? God wants to make us a generous people. And when I say generous, I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about that all that we possess, our time, our energy, our our money, our our strength, all that really belongs to the Lord. And he wants us to see it that way. I love um, Proverbs 11.25. It says, a generous person will prosper. He who refreshes others himself will be refreshed. What a beautiful verse. I don't think that necessarily means, you know, well, you can't outgive God. If you give $10,000 to the church, he'll give you 100000 That's not the point. The point is that as you give in whatever fashion you give, you refresh others and God will refresh you. 
That's really his plan. That's how he works in us, guys. All right, I want to close with a prayer uh, from the Puritans. Lord, let me learn that the way down is the way up. That to be humbled is to be high. That the broken heart is the healed heart. That the contrite spirit is the rejoicing spirit. That to have nothing is to possess everything. That to give is to receive. Well, time for that second altar call. The first altar call was, God, prepare my heart. This altar call is, God, I want to express my heart. We have an altar that is open. Maybe you need to come and and pray at this altar. Um, Obviously, I will be at the front if anyone wants to pray with me. But it's just a time to do business with God. It is a time for us to express our worship. That's the altar call. Maybe it's for someone, that expression is, I need to get saved. I I need to receive Christ into my heart. Take that first step. See, until you take that first step, you can't take the journey. That's the first step. Or maybe for others of you, man, I've started the journey and I'm walking somewhere I shouldn't walk. God wants me back on the trail of righteousness. He said, man, you're sowing unrighteousness. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Then you'll reap the fruit of unfailing love. And you need to break up that stony heart, <laughs> that unplowed ground. Because, it, guys, it's time to seek the Lord until He comes and showers you with righteousness. That's where we are. So, a chance to respond. Say a prayer. Thomas will come lead us in a song as we stand. And let's, this is a sacred time. What's God want to do? Let's pray. Lord, uh, I thank you for this sacred moment that you have brought us together. May we respond, Lord, to your call. Possibly in this area, Lord, there's some ground that needs to be plowed up. uh, May you do that, Holy Spirit, so that the Lord's able to sow some seed of righteousness and do some work he wants to do. God, we... We just simply invite you to do that, Lord, as we come to you, Father, at this altar. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.